Well, good morning to you on a uh, snowy fall day, huh? Man, it looks pretty. I wasn't ready, though, I can tell you that much. Uh, If you have a Bible, please uh, turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, I've been uh, preaching through the book of Acts. We're in uh, Acts chapter 9 today, verses 31 to 43, Acts chapter 9, starting in, in verse 31. Let me pause and say welcome back to the Ridland family, Thomas and Karina and their children. So thankful I saw you right then, Karina. So welcome back. Uh, I know there's lots of people looking forward to, to hugging you and saying hi to you and your girls. So welcome back. As I was saying, Acts chapter 9 uh, will be starting in verse 31 and preaching through Acts. Acts was written by a man named Luke. And the book of Acts tells the story of how the original uh, apostles, the 12 apostles, went out and shared the news about Christ after Christ had ascended to heaven. So the book of Acts covers the next 35 years or so after the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and pray so we get going here. Well, Father, we do thank you for every opportunity to open your word. We just bless you for giving us your word. We believe, Father, that it is in your word that we can come to know you, uh, that we can come to know you as Redeemer, as, as, as our Savior in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, in your word, can come to know not just those things in, in, in word only or in information only, but in your word, we can come to know you. We can begin to connect with the living God through the power of the Holy Spirit in the Scripture. So, Lord, we just ask you as we open your word today, Will you help us, Father, to press through the black words on a white page and help us by your Spirit today to taste and see that you are good. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, at this point in the book of Acts, in Acts chapters 8 and 9, we have reached a critical juncture in this book. God, at this point in the book, is preparing to take the gospel, the good news message of Christ, to the Gentile, non-Jewish world. In Acts 1.8, before Jesus ascended, he said this to his original followers. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You can just leave that up. That's really the table of contents for the book of of Acts. That's what we've seen playing out here in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, the disciples received power when the Spirit came upon them at Pentecost, and they then went out as witnesses, telling people about Christ in Jerusalem, where Christ had been killed and raised again. But Acts chapter 7, there was a massive persecution that started against the Christians in Jerusalem, led by a man named Saul, which sent the Christians scattering out, and they were now witnesses for Christ in Judea and Samaria. And as the Christians have moved out of Jerusalem, well, the gospel's been crossing these ethnic barriers. In Jerusalem, it was just full-blooded Jews coming to faith in Christ. 
But in Judea and Samaria, it was now also half Jews coming to faith in Christ. And at the start of Acts chapter 8, God just now began to move toward that final part of Christ's statement. As God now turned toward the end of the earth, the Gentile non-Jewish world. At the start of Acts 8, God signaled that he was now turning toward the Gentile world when he brought one man to faith. An Ethiopian, most likely the first Gentile Christian. And in the rest of Acts 8 and 9 now, where we've been here, God has been making some final preparations for this full-on Gentile mission. One important preparation that God just completed earlier in Acts 9 was the conversion of Saul. He took the persecutor out of the way. Saul, the persecutor. And Saul now, now that he's a Christian, as the Apostle Paul, he's now gone away. He'll be gone for a couple years being trained. And Saul will then be the first full-time missionary to the Gentiles. And we'll see that in the second half of Acts. But in this passage right here now, which we're going to read, the end of Acts 9, God now makes one final preparation for the Gentile mission as God now moves the Apostle Peter out of Jerusalem. Because here's the thing. Paul, well, he's going to be the first full-time missionary to the Gentiles. But man, this Gentile mission is going to be initiated. It's going to be kicked off, not by Paul, but by Peter. And we'll see it in the next chapter when Peter meets a Gentile named Cornelius. And in order for Peter to meet Cornelius in the next chapter, well, God first has to get Peter out of Jerusalem. When the persecution had started in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 7, and the Christians were scattering, well, the twelve apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Acts 8.1 said this, said, and they were all scattered, the Christians, throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles, during this persecution, kind of just bunkered down there in, in a bit of a command station, I think, in, in Jerusalem. And they've pretty much been in Jerusalem ever since. But God has now removed Saul, the persecutor. We'll see here that there's now peace in the land. And God now moves Peter out of Jerusalem moving Peter here in this passage toward this Gentile named Cornelius, whom he'll meet in the next passage. So let's go ahead and, and read this passage here. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, now that Saul has been converted, the church had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. 
In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive and it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So God has finally now moved the apostle Peter out of Jerusalem, toward this Gentile Cornelius, so Peter in the next chapter can kind of kick open this mission uh, to the Gentiles. We'll see it next Sunday. And as we look today at this text, at Peter traveling here and there, we see Peter performing these two different miracles. Miracles that ultimately teach us some things about Christ. And we'll just walk through these miracles here today, and I'll finish today with some things I think we can see here concerning Christ himself. The the first miracle here with Peter is the healing of a paralyzed man, which happens only because there's finally peace in the land. If you look again at verse 31, Luke, who wrote Acts, says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church now multiplied. And we're basically seeing here now this calm after the storm. You know, there's just this massive hurricane in the United States this past week, Hurricane Michael, just these devastating 150 some odd mile an hour winds, this massive storm surge, just just picture this hurricane, I'm sure you saw some of the images, but just a few days later now in the Florida panhandle, yes, the destruction is there, but there's now this calm after the storm, just a drastic difference in just a couple of days. And this here in, at the end of Acts 9 is really the calm after the storm. Man, in the, in the last couple of chapters, for, for, for months really, there's been this hurricane named Saul in, in this area just wreaking havoc on, on, on Christ's followers, the uh, uh, persecution, the, the violence, the, the, the martyrdom. But Saul's now converted. He's been shipped away for a few years. And the change now is, is dramatic in the area. The church, Luke says, the, the, the body of believers spread throughout Israel now experience peace. And they're being built up, Luke says. The Greek word he uses there is oikodomeo. It means to build a house. So you just think of what's going on here. Saul was attempting to tear down Christ's house. His church trying to obliterate Christ's house. But Jesus now has removed the persecution. And in this calm after the storm, well, Jesus is now building up again his house, his, his, his church. Strengthening, edifying his church. The, the church, Luke says, walking now in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Spirit. 
Man, isn't that just the Lord's ways when you've come through just a horrific period and all of a sudden the Lord gives you this comfort. And now they're walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And then Luke says they are now multiplying. More people now coming to faith in Christ. Jesus now building his church beyond where they were before the persecution. And isn't that just the way Christ works? If if you follow Christ in faith, you make that decision, and you come to Christ in faith, the storms will come. They will come. Jesus never said he would save us from all the storms. On the contrary, Jesus actually said we go through many tribulations on our way into heaven. The storms violent at times for Christians, very painful at times for believers. They, they, they may feel like they are absolutely tearing you to the ground. This hurricane may be right now in, in your life, but Jesus has promised that he would always be with you in the midst of the storm. And when those storms finally pass and you finally enter the calm after the storm, you then begin to experience as a follower of Christ that the the peace, the, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus now builds you up again and so often builds you up beyond where you were before the storms hit, the storms ultimately just making you stronger, conforming you more to the image of Christ. And Jesus is doing that now after the storm, building his church back up beyond where the church was before. And the 12 apostles now in this calm after the storm, well, they can finally move out of Jerusalem. And Luke focuses it in here on Peter. If you look again at verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And it seems that Peter now, with this persecution gone, has, has kind of embarked on, on this, this sort of traveling itinerant type of, of ministry trip, going here and there, visiting most likely different churches in outlying areas, visiting the saints, as Luke says, probably preaching, teaching, ministering as, as he's moving about. You may have heard of John Wesley, just a famous minister in the past. He and his other Methodist ministers, they were known as circuit riders. And they traveled on horseback from town to town through all kinds of weather, preaching and teaching at churches along the way, building up the saints. Uh, in, the de- in the time around when I met Molly and before we got married, I was in some prison ministry and I had a good friend who did prison ministry with me. He actually had a ministry that was called Circuit Rider Ministries. And he would travel around the country just to believers that he'd been connected to around the country. He'd go to their homes and teach little Bible studies. And I would go with him on a lot of these trips. And we were traveling all over the country in car. Uh, John Wesley and his men, they, they rode on horseback, and Christianity Today gave some remarkable stats about John Wesley, said this, said during his ministry, John Wesley rode over 250,000 miles on horseback, a distance equal to 10 circuits of the globe along the equator. He preached over 40,000 sermons. That is a circuit rider. I don't know anything about 
that right there. And, and, and Peter has now started on a bit of a, a circuit on his own, traveling around and preaching and teaching, ministering in outlying areas. I've got a, a map of Peter's travels here. He started down south there in, in Jerusalem. He has now traveled 25 miles to the northwest to, to Lydda. He'll then go on to Joppa when he hears that Dorcas has died, about 12 miles northwest of Lydda, there to Joppa. You may may remember Jonah in the Old Testament. Uh, God told him to go to Nineveh, which was way off to the east, and he went west to Joppa to get away from the call of God. There's a little kid's um, children's storybook Bible that says that Jonah went to not Nineveh. Uh, he went to Jonah, or he went to Joppa, and he took a boat. And Peter will, in a minute, head over to Joppa. And, and Peter then, in the next chapter, will ultimately make it all the way north to Caesarea, where he will meet this Gentile. So you can see how God is now moving Peter, unknown to Peter, toward this Gentile up in Caesarea. So Peter's now in this place called Lydda, and verse 33 says he found a man there named Aeneas, paralyzed, bedridden for eight years, probably a believer, this man Aeneas. And please stop for a second. When, when we read the scriptures, don't rush past conditions like that. It's so easy just to read the man was paralyzed. We just pause on that and think about it. No use of his legs. Maybe also his arms, we don't know, bedridden, lying on not a comfortable mattress probably, but on some mat on the floor, carried on a pallet by friends, by family members. Think of the problems that so often go with paralysis, daily discomfort, I'm sure, social restrictions, couldn't run around with his friends like everyone else. The hygiene problems, the depression, the bed sores. After I was uh, in prison ministry, I was, I was a physical therapist. I don't know what it is with the P's. Uh, prison ministry, PT, pastor, but I got them all. Uh, and, and when I was a physical therapist, I worked often with paraplegics and, and quadriplegics and one of the worst problems was, was pressure sores. They, they can't feel when their skin is, is, is breaking down, and it can lead to the worst problems. And that's today with modern medicine. This, this man, Aeneas, this is the first century. A pressure sore back then would have probably been deadly. And this man, Aeneas, has been a paralytic for eight years. So as long as our church has been in existence, he's been laying on, on a mat carried around by other people. But Peter just walked into his town. And Luke, man, in very short order, gives us the miracle. Just a few words here. If you look at verse 34, and Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. <laughs> Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. <laughs> Man, that's fantastic. An eight-year paralysis gone. Instantly. His legs straight. Muscles, his, his, his nerves restored. 
<laughs> you think he might have danced a Jewish jig <laughs> when he got up? You've seen the fiddler on the roof with Reptavia dancing around. Picture that with Aeneas right here dancing like Reptavia. And amazing the way it happened. Peter there not really calling on Jesus to heal Aeneas, but declaring that Jesus was healing Aeneas. Jesus Christ heals you, and bang, he rises, and probably made up his bed as Peter had commanded. Charles Swindoll once said, this was some real power. Some of us have been saying for years to our teenagers, rise and make your bed, with no result at all. And this was a paralytic. This was some serious power performed by Jesus Christ himself. It was not Peter who did this, but Christ, working in and through Peter, heals this man. And the miracle affects the entire region which is what the miracles did. They were signs that pointed to Christ and the power of Christ. And it affects the whole area here. If you look at verse 35, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, Aeneas, and they turned to the Lord. Sharon was, you saw it in the map, a large area north of Lydda along the Mediterranean. The people in this huge region now hear about this miracle. Not only that, Luke says they see Aeneas himself walking around healed by Christ and they believe that Christ is the real deal. Christ is, he's alive. He has the power to to heal, the, the power to save and they turn to Christ in faith. And Jesus is just continuing here to multiply his church now outside of Jerusalem through Peter. That's the first miracle here, here, the healing of this lame man. The second miracle is the raising of a dead woman. If you look at verse 36, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. And Joppa As you saw, it was about 12 miles to the northwest of of Lydda on the coast of of the Mediterranean. There was a female disciple there named Tabitha. Now, that was her Aramaic name, which most people at this time spoke, including Jesus and the apostles. They spoke in Aramaic. The writers would then translate it into Greek, which is what most of the Roman Empire spoke at this time. So her name in Aramaic is Tabitha. Translated into Greek, her name was Dorcas, which means gazelle. And if you read about this woman here, it seems to be a very fitting name for this woman. Just kind of the the, the grace and the elegance of a gazelle in this woman, uh, this disciple Tabitha, full of good works. Luke, Luke says there, and, and full of acts of charity or, or acts of, of mercy. We'll read in just a, a minute that, or we read later that she made clothing for the widows there in Lydda, probably the widows of the church. She worked hard to do it, made them herself, gave most likely of her own things to provide for the needy. 
Man, and, and just so much like Christ in his time here on this earth. Christ just constantly reaching out to the needy and getting caring for the needy. Something every follower of Christ today should aim to do. You were needy in your sin and Christ reached out to you and he cared for your needs. And now he asks you to go and to care for the needs of, of others. But Tabitha, this woman, has now passed away and, and they've, they've washed her body preparing her uh, for burial. They've laid her in an upper room somewhere there in, in Lydda. And the Christians there, they now heard that Peter was, was in their area. And they sent two disciples urging Peter, please come quickly. And verse 39 says, Peter rose and went. If he was walking fast, it was maybe two to three hours for Peter to get to Joppa. He arrives. We don't know what they expected Peter to do. Now they may have heard of the miracle of Aeneas now walking, but to raise the dead, nobody had raised the dead in the book of Acts. Not yet anyway. Now Jesus had done it, but nobody. Then they call for Peter. What did Peter think as he was walking to Joppa? Did he just know, I'm going to raise the dead, man? No, Peter was like you and me. Do you think he wrestled a little bit with what was going on as he headed towards Joppa? And here he arrives. He's taken to the upper room with Tabitha. All the widows are there beside Peter, weeping, grieving, showing Peter the garments that Tabitha had made. And just pause there again. We just catch the grief there. And the, the, the sadness, the pain, the pain you feel at the loss of, of a loved one. Think of the funerals you've been to, the people you've loved who, who are gone, your friend or, or a family member. The groaning you feel. You know, Jesus understands that groaning. I was just meditating this week out of the book of Hebrews where he's been tested, he's been tempted. He has experienced everything like us except for sin. And he is therefore now able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows the groaning of loss. He understands the pain. Jesus felt it himself in his own life at the loss of his own friend Lazarus. John chapter 11, when he lost to Lazarus, says that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit. He was greatly troubled. He wept. Jesus understands the groaning, the, the grief over a lost loved one. And these widows now are grieving, groaning over the loss of, the, of, the, of their, their friend Tabitha. But look at verse 40. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Removes the widows. Gets the noisy commotion out of the room. Quiets the room. He kneels and he prays. He, he doesn't just declare this time, Jesus Christ heals you, but I think it's just a picture of humble prayer. Lord God, would you be pleased to raise Tabitha? Glorify yourself again through raising this woman from the dead. And he turns to the body and he simply says, Tabitha, arise. And look at the end of verse 40. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and widows, 
He presented her alive. And, and just picture that. Dead body. At the next funeral you go to. Like, like that. B- b- before you. Ready for burial. And Peter goes up. And he prays. And we don't know. It may have been a gasp of air. And her eyes open. And she sits up and man can you imagine the joy in the house when 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 they come walking out of the door peter and tabitha with the weeping widows there how they would have gone from sorrow to joy like that just exploded with with joy what do you think went through peter's mind (laughs) he was hoping praying believed jesus would do this but he's done it Peter had never done this, raised the dead before in the book of Acts. He, he probably exploded with joy. And once again, just like in Lydda, this miracle was, was, was proof that Jesus was alive, that he was resurrected, he was still working. And this miracle, like the previous one, it also impacts the entire region. If you look at verse 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. People hear about the miracle. They now see Tabitha walking around Joppa, healed by Christ, and they they know Christ is real. They they turn to Christ in faith. Jesus just continuing here to multiply, to build up his church outside of Jerusalem through this man, Peter. And the passage ends, verse 43, saying that Peter... Now stayed in Joppa many days with Simon, a tanner. And just stop on that for a second. It was actually very, very significant that Peter stayed with this tanner here. A tanner was someone who made leather, dried these animal skins and dyed them different colors and then sold them. You've probably heard the phrase before, I'm going to tan your hide Meaning that when we fight, I'm going to put color in your skin or something like that. Well, a tanner tanned hides, put color in animal skins. It may have been why this guy Simon lived in Joppa. The tanners needed lots of water to, to tan the hides. They would also stay by the sea because the breezes, it was a very smelly business and the breezes could carry uh, all the, the, the unpleasant odors away. And what's so significant about Peter staying with this tanner? Well, because tanners worked with dead corpses. And according to Jewish law, those who worked with corpses were ritually unclean. Tanning, according to the Jews, it was an unclean occupation. They, the tanners were ostracized, cut off by the Jews. The, the tanners had to live 50 cubits outside a Jewish town. Rabbinical law, the law of the rabbis at the time, stated that if a betrothed woman found out that her soon-to-be husband was a tanner, she could legally break the betrothal, equal to a divorce in our day. No good Jew on the planet at this time would have lived with this guy Simon. 
But Peter now, Peter who grew up as a really good Jew, he meets this tanner who's probably a fellow Christian in Christ, and Peter now moves in with this tanner. It's a great picture, first of all, of what Christ does. He moves towards the outcasts of this world, and he lives with the outcasts, people like you and me. But, but, but I think it's also an indication here that God was at work in Peter's heart. And those old Jewish lines between clean and unclean were slowly being broken down in Peter's heart and mind. Those old Jewish lines between clean and unclean occupations, between clean and unclean foods, between clean and unclean ethnicities, Peter is learning now, I believe, that those old Jewish walls in Christ have now been obliterated. Something that will be very important in the very next chapter when Peter meets this man Cornelius a Gentile who at this time in Jewish mind was an unclean man. But Peter's learning. Peter's learning the old Jewish walls in Christ are now being obliterated and everyone in Christ is clean, clean, clean. So God here in this passage is making one final preparation for this full-on Gentile mission. God now moving Peter up this map, unknown to Peter, moving Peter toward Cornelius, the Gentile, uh, because God is getting ready through Peter to kick the door wide open to the Gentile mission on this world, the non-Jewish mission, non-Jews now hearing the gospel. And with these two miracles here, I think we can see some things concerning Christ himself. Let me, let me give you just a couple conclusions here. Things I think we can see here concerning Jesus Christ himself. Number one, with, with these two miracles here, we see here a small picture of Jesus. I don't know if you caught this as we read through the passage, but both of these miracles here They are reflections. They are recapitulations. They they mirror things that took place in the life of Christ himself. Jesus, just like Peter here, Jesus healed a paralyzed man using similar words to Peter's words right here. It was in Luke chapter 5. A paralyzed man was lowered down by four friends in front of Jesus through a hole in the roof. And Jesus said this, Luke 5, 24. Jesus said, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose. And Peter now says this to this paralytic. Aeneas verse 34. He says, rise and make your bed. And immediately He rose. Just such similar wording and actions between these two miracles. And Jesus also raised a woman from the dead, a 12-year-old girl, with almost the exact words and the exact actions as Peter's words and actions right here. You know, Peter here, when he arrives on the scene and Tabitha has, has died and is in this upper room, well, what's the first thing that Peter does here? Well, he removes the weeping widows from the room. He removes 
the commotion. And do you know where Peter learned that? From Jesus Himself. Jesus earlier with this 12-year-old girl. He did the exact same thing. Jesus arrived. The people were weeping. And He removed the commotion from the room. Peter was with Jesus on that occasion. Saw Jesus do it. And what did Jesus then do with this young girl laying before him? Here it is, Mark 5.41. Jesus said to her, Talitha kumi. It was an Aramaic phrase, which is translated here by Mark. He says, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, the girl got up. And Peter, now here, After removing the commotion from this room, just like Christ had done with the dead body still in the room, Peter's words here, verse 40, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And you look at these two miracles, they're just so close in both action and words. And here's the thing. There's a good chance that Peter here in, in our text, there's a good chance that he said those words to Tabitha also in Aramaic. That's the language Jesus and the apostles used at this time. And the Bible writers then would translate the words into Greek because that's the language people in the Roman Empire read and spoke at the time. But it's likely that Peter actually spoke here in this text in Aramaic, and if Peter did speak in Aramaic here, I want you to see just how close the words would have been to Christ. Jesus said this to the 12 year old girl. He said, Talitha kumi. And if Peter spoke in Aramaic, here it is on the screen Tabitha kumi. It's the difference of just one letter. Those two miracles here with Peter, they are reflections. They are recapitulations. They they mirror what took place in the life of of Christ Himself. God has given us here with these two miracles a little picture of Christ. That's one thing we see here is just a picture of Christ. A second thing we see here in this text, number two, we see here why Christ came. You know, these miracles here, they remind us that Jesus came to heal. That He came to heal the lame. That He came to raise the dead. Jesus, He he came to heal spiritually, which is great news for you and me because the Bible says that because of sin, we're all spiritually lame. We are spiritually dead, but Jesus took our sin on the cross and everyone now turns to Christ in faith. You're healed, the Bible says. You're no longer spiritually crippled, lame. You're now raised up to walk as God has created you to walk. You're no longer spiritually dead. The Bible says that you are now spiritually alive. You have new life in in Christ. Jesus, yeah, He came to heal spiritually. Here's the thing. He didn't come just to heal spiritually. He also came to heal physically. He came to heal people's bodies. 
once again so good for both you and me because our bodies are all now experiencing the effects of sin right here, right now, whether or not you feel it. God did not originally create you to to suffer and to get old and to die. He didn't. That's a result of sin. The entire universe, the Bible says, because of sin, now groaning, everything, every snowflake, every tree, everything we see, the Bible says, now groaning because of mankind's sin. Everything, the Bible says, in creation, now subjected to futility. Everything now in bondage to death and decay. That includes all of us. We are getting older. We, we suffer. We will die because of sin. But thank God, Jesus came not just to heal you spiritually, but to heal you physically. You follow Christ with a simple childlike faith and your body will still suffer in this life. You will suffer at times. You will Pilgrim's Progress, if you've ever read it by, by John Bunyan, just a, such, such a great picture of people on their way to heaven. And the two men at the very end, named Christian and Hopeful, they, they make it to the very end and they have to cross this river Jordan. And one of the men, Hopeful, he passes very quickly into the land of Canaan, into heaven. But Christian struggles in the river Jordan and he feels that he's drowning. And he feels like he will never make it across the river. And he ultimately does. But John Bunyan there was giving a picture of the way people, the way believers pass out of this life. Some may go very quickly. Others will suffer. We don't know. But even if you don't suffer at the end of your life, you will beforehand. It's just the way it is. The effects of of sin in this life. But here's the thing. Christ will ultimately heal your body. He will heal your body. He might heal your body now in this life while you're still alive. Jesus still heals today like he did back then. God tells us to pray for it. James 5.14 says this, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. The elders are gathering today to anoint with oil and pray over someone who is sick. And our prayer is that Jesus would raise this person up, heal this person in this life. And and the Lord can do that to you if that's his will to do that. If that's his will to do that. But please hear me, make no mistake about it. Even if Christ doesn't raise you, believer, up in this life, if he doesn't heal you in this life, he will in the next For everyone who truly trusts in him when he returns at the last trumpet, when Jesus will essentially look at the bodies of all of his people lying in their graves, and he will call out, Talitha Kumi, Tabitha Kumi, all of my people rise. And the bodies of all of Christ's people will then be resurrected, new flesh and blood bodies, living in a real flesh and blood body. A real heaven and earth. A real creation. As part of the joy set before us, as Dana's, Dana was mentioning earlier, as Christians. You know, one of, the, one of Satan's worst lies is to try to convince Christians that heaven is a bore. 
A lot of Christians think heaven is just sitting like a spirit on a cloud. There's actually a far side cartoon where there's a little man sitting on a cloud. He's just sitting in there and he said, I wish I brought a paper. That's Satan's lies to you to convince you that heaven is a bore. So you'll be so focused on the things of this life. But God wants you to know it is not a bore. It is not a spirit sitting on a cloud. It is a real, true flesh and blood body. It is your body. It's the one I'm looking at right now, just the better version. The 10.0 version of you, whatever that looks like. It's your body living in a real heaven and earth, a new creation. And every single healing in the Bible, please hear this, Christians, when you read the Scriptures and you see a healing in the Bible, like these two miracles here, they all remind us that Jesus came to heal. That He came to restore our physical bodies. He came to liberate His people from this bondage to death and decay. These two miracles right here, well, that right there is a tiny foretaste of heaven. It's a picture of heaven where everything, including our bodies, will finally be healed. Derek Thomas says this. He says, these miracles here, they remind us that one day, in the resurrection glory, all sickness and disease will be eradicated. In the world to come, there will be no disability to hinder us. We will have new bodies made or remade to function as they were intended to without the debilitating effects of sin that now characterize the physical world. It is a longing that inanimate creation itself now longs for, groaning, as the Bible says, in the pains of childbirth as it anticipates the new creation when all of creation will then be set free. Johnny Erickson taught a Christian woman still paralyzed whom Christ has not yet willed to heal. She looks at the groaning of this life, the groaning in her own body, and she knows it will one day come to an end. She said this, she said, Can you hear the sighing in the wind? Can you feel the heavy silence in the mountains? Can you sense the restless longing in the sea? Can you see it in the woeful eyes of an animal? Something's coming. Something better. And every healing in the Bible, including these two miracles here, they are all whispering that something better is coming For those who trust in Christ. We see here why Christ came to earth. He came to heal. To heal the lame. He came to raise the dead. This woman here, Tabitha, coming back to life. It's just a small picture of Christ's return. When every believer, when he calls out that last day. And he says, rise. Every believer's eyes then open. And he essentially grabs you by the hand and pulls you up to your eternal life. In a new physical body with him in glory forever. So we see here with these two miracles, a picture of Christ. We also see here why Christ came to heal. And one final thing we see here with these miracles, I believe, we we see here how Christ now works on this earth. These two miracles here remind us that Christ now works in and through his people. Jesus here in Acts, he's now in heaven. But he's still working in and through his body, in and through his followers, like, like Peter right here. Jesus now working through the church, the body of Christ, and that's how Jesus now works today. He still does. We are now the mouth of Christ on earth. We are now the very hands of Christ on on this earth. Extended, Christ's hands extended through us to this fallen, broken world. 
we've now been sent by Christ to bring healing to, to this world. Christ now working in and through us from the right hand of the Father, extending his eternal healing through us to the lost, to the broken, to the despairing of this world. So please, as we end here, those of you who do trust in Christ today, as you look at this text, can I encourage you? First of all, will you be encouraged? Will you be encouraged by the grace of God? It doesn't matter today what you're going through. I know there's pain in, in so many bodies here in this, in, in this, in this church. There's, you, you feel there's hurricane maybe. You're being pressed to the ground. You feel it right now. But please be reminded today that for you, believer, something much better is coming. Something much, much better. Be encouraged. But you know, will you also look to extend Christ's healing to the world? Because Christ is working in and through his body now. Will you just look around the people God has put around you? Ask God to give you eyes to see the hurts, to see the pains. Reach your hands out, the very hands of Christ now on this earth, and touch those pains. Speak the very mouth of Christ. Speak into those pains. Speak the name of Christ into those pains. If and when you can, we are now sent by God. Just like the early disciples here, to extend the healing of Christ to the world. May God help us to do it. Lord, thank you. We bless your holy name this morning. Your word, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these, these, these miracles. We know they are a, a, a testament to you, Lord Jesus, that you are not a dead Savior, but a resurrected Savior. You are living and powerful. You have power over all creation. You, Lord Jesus, you who created all things, out of nothing, by the word of your mouth, saying, let there be, you still have that power today, even over our physical bodies. Today, you can look at our physical bodies and you can say, let there be, and there will be healing. But we just thank you, Lord God, that there is a day coming where for everybody, everybody of those who trust in you, there will be the words of Christ, let there be. Arise, and we will rise. No more pain, no more mourning, no more groaning, no more death anymore. Lord God, thank you. And we energize us now as a body to look out, to enjoy and celebrate what we have, and then to look out. And in compassion, touch the pains around us, speak into them. Will you help us? Lord God, we pray. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.